Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello, everyone. I'm Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of Women and Manufacturing Podcast. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S., I also run a global supply chain consulting firm called Blue Silk Consulting, where we help clients with global supply chain projects and where I also do a considerable amount of expert witness work. On these podcasts, we interview accomplished women in business and ask them to share their experiences with us. We are looking for insights from women leaders across America that we can all learn from. Today, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Michelle Seiler Tucker, the CEO of an M&A firm, Seiler Tucker, in New Orleans. I love New Orleans. <laughs> today, today, we are going to focus on mergers and acquisitions for manufacturing firms. So, Michelle, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Thanks. Rosemary, you should come to New Orleans and see me. <laughs> I'm right downtown. <laughs> <laughs> we have some of the best restaurants in, in the world. So a little bit about my background. I've always been an entrepreneur. You know, even as a little girl, I told my mom, I'm not going to go to work for anyone. <laughs> and so I've owned many different businesses and different verticals. But I did end up going to work for Xerox, for Fortune, well, Xerox, you know, Fortune 500 company. And I was recruited by Xerox. I went into sales. I was there for about six months. And then they promoted me to regional vice president over a hundred sales reps. And I learned very quickly that that's really not the path I want to continue down. I love leadership. I love management, but I don't necessarily like it in a Fortune 500 company because you're not really getting anything done. <laughs> you, know, you have a meetings to schedule follow-up meetings to schedule more meetings. And I'm a problem solver. I love coming up with solutions. So I ended up leaving Xerox and starting my franchise sales development and consulting company. I was equity partner with many different franchisors. But I had a lot of buyers that kept coming to me and wanted to buy existing businesses. I had several companies that wanted to grow through acquisition. I had buyers that wanted to leave corporate America, but they didn't really want to buy a franchise. So that's when I really started my mergers and acquisitions from a little over 20 years ago. I personally have sold over 500 companies. Altogether, my firm and I have sold over a thousand in pretty much every vertical you can imagine. And I've written three books on the subject, spoken all over the United States plus Canada on the subject. And so entrepreneurship is really my passion. It's my mission. You know, I learned a long time ago that what Steve Forbes says is true. Eight out of 10 businesses will never sell. That's 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. And that's really pretty strong statistics. I mean, that should scare most business owners because you have less than a 20% chance of survival. Wow. You need to go to sell your business. And I learned a long time ago, I got to fix. Surviving the sale process? Well, yeah. Being able to sell your business. Most of these business owners are exiting poor. They're selling for pennies on a dollar. So I learned a long time ago, if I don't fix these businesses, if I don't grow them, if I don't build to sell them, then these business owners are going to exit poor. So I don't just sell companies. I partner with business owners, investing my money, resources, Core competencies. I fix them. I grow them. I put them on a build to sell program. We buy businesses and, and flip them as well. So we specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing. We're very different than most mergers and acquisition firms because most other firms don't specialize in fixing businesses. They just specialize in selling companies. 
Very interesting. So how would you say you fix up a business? You said you invest your own money and are flipping businesses. Yep. So let me give you an example. I had a gentleman call me a few years ago and him and his wife own a graphics business that specializes in first responders. So they provide all the vehicle wraps for first responders. And it was husband, wife, one employee working out their garage. It's a small business. Uh, he called me to sell the business because he said, Michelle, I just don't have the business acumen to grow this company to the next level. And it was him and his wife. He said, we're working about 14 hours a day. We're about to kill each other. We'll probably end up divorced. And we took out a mortgage on our family home. And so I said, so he started talking to me about his company. He said, and he's, even though he was distraught, he was still extremely passionate. And he said, you know, we have the best art, the best quality. In fact, our reputation, you know, is the best in the industry. And we're turning down about 6,000 clients a year. And I went, 6,000 clients a year. And he said, yeah. And I said, today, you just won the lottery. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, if you would talk to any other advisor, they would have looked at your business, put it on the market. Your business is not sellable because you don't have a business. We have a job that you go to work at every day versus a business that works for you. And he goes, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> I said, I'm going to do some due diligence. I'm going to partner with you. And so I invested over a quarter of a million dollars, picked him out of the garage, <laughs> leased a 6,000 square foot building, leased new equipment, leased new vehicles, hired employees and hired a COO. And now they're doing millions. Oh, fantastic. And so they didn't have the proper infrastructure. They were great at what they do. They, you know, they were great at artwork. They were great at quality control, but they never built a solid foundation. They never built the infrastructure on what I call the six P's in my book, Exit Rich. Okay, what are the six P's? So first and foremost, let's just talk about some of the biggest reasons businesses don't sell. One of the number one reasons businesses don't sell is because business owners never think about their exit strategy until a catastrophic event has occurred. They don't plan their exit strategy. And that catastrophic event, Rosemary, can be internal or external. Internal is health issues, partners disputes, divorce, death. External is this pandemic that we've been in for the last year and a half. And let me just give you a quick example. I had a lady call me from Texas the other day and said, Michelle, can you please help me, help me, help me sell my husband's business? He just dropped out of a heart attack, left her with a mountain of debt, but he didn't have a sellable business. So there wasn't much I could do for her. He had no employees. He has all subcontractors, all of the processes, all the data was in his head. When he died, the business died. So that six P's is number one is people. So many business owners, you know, build a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus business that works for them. And I'm talking about large businesses. We're selling a business right now for $70 million. They have 350 employees, but that business will not be able to sustain itself without that owner. That owner has all the client relationships, plus they have all the data in their head. Yes, there's some processes and things of that nature, but the owner has to stick around. So people is number one. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business with you. Okay. And I always tell my clients, you have to have the right people in the right seats. I mean, have you ever seen a company, Rosemary, that has plenty of people, but they have them in the wrong positions? A lot of times Absolutely. they're trying to fit a square head into a round toe and it's never going to work. And then, or have you ever seen a situation where the entrepreneur is doing a lot of different things, which they shouldn't be. They have their finger in every pie. It's because... It, 
you know, they always have this mentality that if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. That's even in a $70 million company. Well, that can't be further from the truth. Entrepreneurs have to focus on their strengths, hire their weaknesses, and ask the who question. Who handles customer service, marketing, legal, accounting, manufacturing, quality control, training, education, logistics, et cetera. The list goes on and on. The clue is that Rosemary should never be next to the who. <laughs> Because we want the business to run without you. The second one is product. You know, when I wrote my very first book in 2013 called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, I did the research back then and learned that 90% of all startups were closed, right? We all know that. But then when I did the research for Exit Rich in 2019, I learned that the business landscape has flip-flopped. It's actually switched. Startups that used to be at great risk, 90% failure rate, only have a 30% failure rate now. Ah, very interesting. Very interesting. But here's the more interesting part. Out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of them are going out of business. That's pretty scary because it used to be if you're in business over five years, you're going to be, you're goaded. And the number one reason for that is lack of aim. AIM is always innovate and market. You hear about the public companies all the time. Toys R Us in business 75 years goes out of business. What do they do different in 75 years? Nothing. <laughs> you know, Pier 1, Kmart, Steinmart, et cetera. So product is your product, your service, your industry. You have to ask yourself, and in manufacturing, you know, what you're manufacturing. We have a furniture manufacturing company for sale right now, and they specialize. Well, you know, I can't really say what they specialize in here <laughs> because they don't have a lot of competition. But you got to ask, is your industry on the way up, on the way out, you know, do you have an Amazon? And if so, you should be selling because you want to sell when you're in your prime, not during a catastrophe, or do you have a blockbuster and a business is about to go out of business? And I've been working with this manufacturing company to kind of switch gears a little bit because some of the industries that they specialize in have taken a nosedive because of the pandemic. And I always tell my clients that if you feel like your business is about to go bust, kind of like look at blockbuster. Did they do anything different? Yeah, it's funny. I'm just reading the CEO's book on Netflix and he talks about Blockbuster, how they were the king and, you know, Netflix was an up and comer and now, you know, Blockbuster is completely gone. And you know, Blockbuster had the opportunity to purchase Netflix twice. Yes, I know. I and know. they did nothing. So innovation is key. Yeah. So I always tell my clients, ask yourself three transformational questions. Number one, ask yourself, what business are you in? Business you think you're in is not the business you're probably in. I'll give you an example. Amazon, back in the 90s, asked themselves what business we're in. And they said, we're in a book fulfillment business. We fulfill book orders. Right. Number two. So everybody should ask themselves, what business are you in? Number two, what do you do better than everyone else? What is your USP, your unique selling proposition? And Amazon said, we do fulfillment better than everybody else. We're the best. The third obvious question is what business should I be in because you got to innovate. You got to pivot. You can't keep doing things the way you've always done them. You're either growing or dying. There's no in between. And this is for every industry. You're right. You have to keep reinventing yourself. You sure. have to. Yep. And Amazon said, we should fulfill products for everybody all around the world. <laughs> and now those three transformational questions, of course, a lot of other hard work, right? Is what transformed Amazon from a small book fulfillment center to the multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. Very good. So that's product. And here's where industries get in trouble. They have one profit center. 
You can't have one profit center. You got to have multiple revenue streams. Right. Because right. if that one profit center dies, this is what happened to restaurants. Right. Restaurants went out of business so fast during the pandemic because they only have two ways they get paid or one way they get paid. Customers come in, eat, or they take food to go. Right. They don't have any commerce business. They're not selling anything. There's so many different unique ideas that restaurants can incorporate in which to keep their boat afloat during a catastrophe. Yeah, and I think that's a good lesson to learn. We're we're right now interviewing for a project. We're interviewing 50 companies in New York and wow. asking them how did they fare during the pandemic? What went right? What went wrong? What are the best practices? And, you know, that's really important. An awful lot of companies do one thing. And when they couldn't do that one thing, they were crippled. And so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, learning to be flexible is an important lesson for all of us, whether we're in a pandemic or we're just operating or we get competition or whatever. Really, really important. Well, and I think that's a great project. And, you know, what happened with restaurants, not only did they have one profit center, but most of them only have one to two months of working capital. Right. So you also got to have more working capital. Yeah, sure. Of course. And we'd all like to have more working capital all the time, right? (laughs) Well, you know, look, there's different, you know, there's things that we can do in our business to create that working capital. One is having more than one way you get paid. (laughs) And then did you ever watch a movie, The Founder, based upon the McDonald's brothers? Yes. yes, uh Yeah. Yeah. That was a great movie, right? One of the best movies ever. I'll give you one more story to illustrate this point about the transformational questions. Do you remember Ray Kroc? Ray Kroc, who took over McDonald's, played by Michael Keaton, when he was in the bank trying to borrow money because he was over leveraged, he took out a mortgage against his house, right? And so he's in the bank and the lender's like, I can't give you any more money. So he walks out and you remember the gentleman that followed him out and he goes, I'm so sorry, I just overheard your conversation. He goes, I have a question for you. What business are you in? And Ray Kroc goes, I'm in the restaurant business. And he said, no, what business are you in? And Ray Kroc goes, I've had a bad day. (laughs) I'm in the restaurant business. And the guy goes, no, you're in the real estate business. You need to buy the real estate, build the buildings, lease it back to the franchisee. When they're not compliant and they're not paying you, you void the contract, you put another franchisee in. That's what started McDonald's corporate royalty. That's what gave Ray Kroc the leverage Mm -hmm. to take McDonald's really away from McDonald Brothers. I think he paid, what, $2 million, $1 million each. Uh And that's what gave him the leverage. That man asking him that transformational question is also why McDonald's corporate royalty is one of the largest royalty holding companies in the world. Can you imagine if that gentleman never followed Ray Kroc out of the bank? Yeah. Wow. That's huge. Right. Yeah. And that's why I say, no, I was just going to say, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, from a manufacturing perspective, that's a very good lesson to learn because I think manufacturers would have a hard time actually translating what kind of business they're in. You know, mm-hmm. most manufacturers are going to say I'm in the machine shop business or I manufacture furniture, or, I manufacture plastics or something like that. And I think you're right. You got to turn that question around and ask them, who are they serving and what are they doing? Yeah, that's a hard question. But the reason why it's so important is because so many business owners are in the transactional in which to grow. You must get away from transactional and become transformational. Mm-hmm. And these are transformational questions. Very important. Very important. Very hard. 
for me. They are hard. And you know what? It's very difficult for a business owner to see it. So a lot of times you need an outsider's perspective. Somebody like you, Rosemary, a mentor, you know, an advisor like me, you need an outsider's perspective. I always say it's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle. (laughs) You need an outsider's perspective to read the warning signs that keep you out of danger zone. And, you know, when you're in your fog, it's foggy. So it's really hard for an insider to look at their business going, what business am I in? You, Oh, I manufacture furniture. No, that's not the business you're at. Right. And then it's so important to ask what business should I be in? All right. So that's product. Processes is number three. And processes are extremely important, but usually forgotten. Uh (laughs) Processes are kind of like exit strategy. Business owners don't think about them until something bad happens in their company. Like, oh, we need a process for that. You know, we're actually selling a manufacturing business. We've sold many, many manufacturing businesses. And you're probably not going to believe this story because I didn't either (laughs) until it happened. He actually had a employee get hurt on the manufacturing floor and lose a limb. And we were selling him. And lawsuits, you can imagine, right? Being sued from everybody you can imagine from. Going into bankruptcy. And he said, you know, Michelle, we need a policy for this. And I go, because he had health and safety and all this other stuff. I go, don't you think you needed some of these policies beforehand? I have another manufacturing company that has all 1099s on the floor. 1099s on a manufacturing floor with no workers comp. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you horror story after horror story. So processes are so important. Yeah. You got to have processes. They got to be productive. They got to be efficient. They got to be well documented. Most importantly, Rosemary, they need to be designed with the customer experience in mind. Well, and yeah, I mean, we're finding also the other project we're working on is that they need to also be a framework, flexible enough to change, to have kind of the principles in place, but flexible enough to change when the situation changes. So if you're doing a disaster preparedness, for example, you know, it's one thing to be prepared for a fire. We have to get everybody out of the building. And it's another thing to prepare for a pandemic. Absolutely. You have to protect everybody in the building. So, you know, understanding what the framework is and the principles, I think, is fairly important. On the other hand, Reed Hastings from Netflix says, you know, no processes, right? I mean, I think it's important to consider all kinds of points of view. Yeah. Well, I think a manufacturing plant definitely has to have process. Yeah, I I <laughs> you know, especially since it's around health and safety. You don't yeah, want to be I like know. my client. I also think that, you know, manufacturing is execution, right? It's not strategy. It's not, you know, pie in the sky, academia. It's execution. It's making stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that case, you know, I think people are better with some rules and some approaches and processes. And it's helpful to have that kind of structure to make sure that you're safe and that you're producing good product and, you know, that you're doing it consistently. But also... Ensuring customer experience, ensuring that the customer gets what the customer wants. I think a lot of business owners are getting processes wrong these days for designing processes around their own agenda. Now, maybe not manufacturing, but I'll give you an example of what I mean. Doctor's offices, hours are nine to five, Monday through Friday. Are they designing their processes around the patients? Yeah, right. <laughs> around their own agenda. Right. Chiropractors are even worse, you know, Monday, yeah. Wednesday, Friday. So we need to get back to the basis, back to the founder, the movie, The Founder, the McDonald Brothers back in 1950 said, we're going to design a fast food restaurant because there isn't one. We're going to design a fast food system and we're going to design our processes around the customer experience. Uh-huh. Right. We want our customers to experience great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. 
And even though the process, remember when they went to the tennis courts and drew it out and everybody bumped into each other and nine hours later, they have their processes. And even though they've been tweaked along the way, you can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world all these decades later and still get the same experience. Right. It's consistent. Right. It's consistency. So we really have to say it can't just be about health and safety and, and protocols. I think it also has to be what do we want our customers to experience? And we have to go back to asking our customers. What do you want? What do you need? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? Yeah. And that's in manufacturing because what is manufacturing doing? They're manufacturing products for consumers. Right. And understanding that consumer point of view is really important. So let's go on with the other P's. We only have a few minutes left and I'd like to get through all your recommendations. All right. So the fourth P is the highest value driver. Let me just give you all a quick crash course in evaluations. So businesses, especially manufacturing, now let me tell you something, manufacturing is probably one of the hottest industries there is to sell, especially if they have EBITDA of over a million dollars. So a quick crash course on valuations. Businesses that have under a million in EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, will typically trade anywhere from one to three, three and a half multiple, depending upon synergies. So when you're talking about multiple, you're talking about multiple of revenue. EBITDA. No, no, multiple of EBITDA. EBITDA, right. The only companies that will trade for multiple revenue are SaaS companies. Okay. So then let's say, let's say the business is over a million in EBITDA. Then they'll start at four or five, between four and five and go up. So that's okay. a multiple of? EBITDA. Okay. So okay. if your EBITDA is a million and we can sell four or five, that's $5 million, right? The highest multiple driver is proprietary, which is the fourth P. Proprietary is going to take me a little bit longer because there are six pillars to this. This is very important, okay? The other two Ps are quick. So proprietary is the highest value driver. That can take you from a five to a seven to an eight to 10 or higher. These are the proprietary synergies that buyers are paying for. There's five different types of buyers. There's three types of buyers that will buy manufacturing businesses. So branding is number one. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your company for, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumer. Is anybody paying any money for Blockbuster? Come on, <laughs> Rosemary, you know you want to. <laughs> no. And do you know who the most valuable brand is in the world? I've seen those lists before. I don't know who it is right now. Apple. Apple, okay. $359 billion. Yeah. And that's just for the brand. That's not assets, cash flow, real estate, inventory, anything else. Okay. Just for the brand. So build your brand. Number two is trademarks. Trademark your company name, trademark your slogans, your podcast, everything, your products, right. your products. Now, the biggest mistake business owners make is they get a state trademark. They don't get a federal trademark. They don't even look in the federal database to make sure that their name is available. Mm -hmm. I've seen clients be in business five, 10 years, and all of a sudden receive a system to assist letter in the mail, and they have to stop using that company name. Mm -hmm. They'll hire a, lot, a lawyer, but they'll typically lose. And then you have to start the branding process all over. Federal trademark your products. People forget this. We have mm -hmm. a company right now that we're selling between 60 to, probably between 60 to 80 million, and they have 12 products. Each product has a federal trademark. Each product has exclusivity. One's exclusive to Walmart. One's exclusive to Target. So you want to make sure you get a federal trademark. Patents are huge, especially in manufacturing. We sold a manufacturing business 
that really wasn't making any money, but they had 18 patents and we sold it for 18 million. Contracts, manufacturing, vendor, distribution, client contracts, very valuable, but most business owners don't have the transferability clause in their contracts. 98% of sales are all asset sales, not stock sales. So if the buyer doesn't agree to a stock sale and your clients, you might not want to go to your clients and get consent to transfer because now they know you're selling your business. Mm-hmm. And what happens if the deal falls apart? So you want to get that two-sentence transferability clause. I've been doing this over 20 years. I've never seen a business owner have the two-sentence transferability clause. Databases. Did you know that? No, I'm not. <laughs> Databases are really big. You can be losing money. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. So, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money, but they had a billion users. Right. So what we're talking about are synergies that buyers, especially strategists and competitors, will pay more money for because these synergies will help catapult their current business to the next level. And then celebrity endorsements are really big, not really big in manufacturing, although we do have some manufacturing companies that have products with some huge celebrities right now. So that drives value. When we're doing evaluations, evaluations are more of an art than a science. We evaluate businesses on these six Ps, but we also look at which buyers can take advantage of economies of scale, which buyers can cut infrastructure. We have a manufacturing company right now that we're selling that has a distribution center costing about five, seven million dollars a year to operate. We have another manufacturing company that's a buyer that has distribution throughout the US. First thing they're going to cut is that five million dollar company. That's going to decrease overhead by $5 million and increase EBITDA from day one of closing. Mm-hmm. We look for those buyers that are willing to pay more money for those patents and those trademarks and those contracts. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And then the fifth P is patrons. This is your customer base. Now, customer base, you know, most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of their business comes from 20% of their clients. This happens in manufacturing all the time. And we sold a manufacturing business, an oil manufacturing business. They had 70% of the revenues tied up with BP. We appraised it for $9.8 million. We have 550 buyers. We narrowed it down to 12. We got 12 LOIs, letter of intent. The issue is that each LOI had contingency language like clawbacks, earn out, seller financing, contingent upon the not losing the BP contract. And two sellers, both sellers like, Michelle, I'm not accepting those contracts. I'm not going to do that. I'm like, okay, okay. Let me just go find you the perfect buyer (laughs) that doesn't care, which I did. I found a strategic that had similar products, similar services. And this strategic been trying to get their products into BP for decades and can never get in the door. And they said, Michelle, we don't care about customer concentration. (laughs) He can lose that business. We don't care. We want to get into BP. And so they said, whatever we need to do. And I said, give me a bid. They bid $15 million for 70% of the company, which was 129% more than the appraised price and kept one of the partners, one of the partners retained equity. Fantastic. Wow. And what's the sixth pillar? It's what all your listeners care about, profits. Okay. (laughs) And the reason we put profits last is because lack of profits is never the problem. Lack of profits is a symptom of not operating one of the other five Ps. I have clients that come to me all the time, Michelle, and say, Michelle, I have a I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you got a process problem or no, you got a people problem or no, you're being sued right now because you don't have a federal trademark in your company name. Yeah. So lack of profits is never the problem, always a symptom. 
So that's the infrastructure. That's fantastic. It's very informative. If you're running all five Ps, you can't help to be profitable. (laughs) Fantastic. Do you have any closing thoughts for those of us who are in the manufacturing industry that might be helpful for us if we're intending to sell a business or acquire a business? Absolutely. So manufacturing is hot, hot, hot. It is one of the hottest industries. And when we get manufacturing companies, and we have several right now, we will bring hundreds and hundreds of buyers to the table. The biggest tip I can have for you that I can give you is don't wait till catastrophe happens. Plan your GPS exit model. That's what I call it, the GPS exit model. I'll tell you about it really quickly. Number one, when you want to drive somewhere, you pull out Google Maps. And what do you plug in, Rosemary? Your origin and destination. Your destination. And what happens if you don't plug in a destination? You don't go anywhere. You don't go anywhere. So that's what happens to business owners. They don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. They don't have a destination. They drive around in circles, drive up and down the financial hills. Pick a number. I want all manufacturing, all women manufacturing, pick a number. What is your desired sales price? What is your end game? Start with the end of mind, like Stephen Covey says, and pick a number. Let's say you want to sell your manufacturing company for $20 million. Great. Now we have a start. The second biggest piece of advice and part of the SFT GPSX model, what does a GPSX model need to know next? Where you're starting from? What is your current valuation? What is your business worth today? Here's another big mistake. Most business owners have never had their business evaluated. Never. I just met with a manufacturing company the other day in business 40 years, never had a business valuation. That's financial suicide. We go to the doctor once a year to get an annual checkup, but we don't take our most valuable asset, which is our business and get a business valuation, that's financial suicide. You need an annual valuation checkup because there are events that increase valuations, there are events that decrease valuations. So let's say you want to sell for 20 million and you're currently worth 5 million. Next thing you need to know is time frame. Let's say you want to do this in 10 years. Then the next thing you need to know is who my buyer is going to be. I'll tell you really quickly, five types of buyers. First time buyers, 90% of buyers, they don't buy manufacturing companies, not for $20 million. <laughs> they buy coffee shops and restaurants and things of that nature. Turnaround specialists, buy distressed assets, private equity groups. Lots of private equity groups are in the manufacturing. They buy based on platform and add-ons. They're a great buyer. Then you have your strategics competitors or number four. These are the buyers that will pay you the highest multiple. Like my buyer in the case study of the oil manufacturing company, And then the last type of buyer is, I call them storm chasers because they're really cash chasers. They're serial entrepreneurs or industry agnostic. Industry agnostic, they'll buy manufacturing. I have a a serial entrepreneur. He gives me an offer on almost everything we have. And he's putting him in the several manufacturing companies. And then the next step is say, okay, I got my three buyers. Now I have my plan, reverse engineer the numbers. You need to know if you want to sell for $20 million, where your numbers need to land. What's your gross revenues, your COGS, your operating expenses, most importantly, your EBITDA. Your EBITDA is going to need to be around between 3 million to 4 million, depending upon your synergies. And then you want to ask yourself, or you have to ask an advisor like me, what are the synergies that these buyers are willing to pay top dollar for and build your business to meet their specific criteria? That's the biggest piece of advice that I can give to women in manufacturing because they don't do that. Right, right. Well, yeah, like we were saying before, manufacturers are busy manufacturing. And they they're busy manufacturing. Right. And they don't, they they don't, don't stop to think. Yeah. So, you know, this has really been great, thoughtful and interesting information. I think anybody listening to the podcast is being able to take away from what you've taught us today. And thank you very much. It's just great. Can you? I love uh, to teach. Can you tell? 
<laughs> yeah. Give us your contact information in case anybody wants to get in touch with you. Sure. And can I tell everyone where they can get the book, Exit Rich? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Exit Rich was endorsed by Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes says Exit Rich is a go mine for entrepreneurs as they leave way too much money on the sale of their business. Do you know Sharon Lecter? Sure. Uh-huh. She wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki, CPA, financial RC expert. She writes the Mentors Corner. Kevin Harrington, original Shark on Shark Tank, wrote the forward. So Exit Rich just launched June 22nd. It is a Wall Street Journal bestseller, USA Today bestseller. And you can still get Exit Rich, ExitRichBook.com. Now you can buy it anywhere. You can buy it on Amazon, your favorite bookstore. But ExitRichBook.com is where all the bonuses are. So ExitRichBook.com, $24.79 plus shipping. We will ship the hardcover to your doorstep. We will email you the digital download. We will give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club, where there's video training and me doing deep dives and different techniques and strategies that we've been talking about here today, plus documents, documents to operate your company, documents to sell your business. So we have sample employee handbooks, operational manuals, org charts. We have sample a lot of intents, purchase agreements, due diligence checklists, closing documents. All these documents are there for your review and download. And I can promise you there's like everything you need. That will cost you thousands upon thousands of dollars to recreate. And then we also will give you a three 30-day membership into Club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurship mastermind where we really help business owners ask those transformational questions so they can build a sustainable, scalable business. Can be sellable. All at ExitRichBook.com. If you buy the book somewhere else, that's okay. Just email me your receipt and I will still give you the bonuses. Oh, great. Terrific. Well, thank you. Thank you. And then our main website is SiloTucker.com. Thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. You can listen to more podcasts on women and manufacturing at the website, www.womenandmfg.com. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates, R-C-O-A-T-E-S, at reshoringinstitute.org and visit our website at www.reshoringinstitute.org where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.